Hello, I'm Nick Cater, Executive Director of the Menzies Research Centre and a columnist with The Australian. It is almost 20 months since Daniel Andrews declared a state of emergency by evoking hitherto untouched powers in the Public Health and Wellbeing Act, a piece of sloppy legislation passed by the Victorian Parliament in 2008. The press release that emerged from the Premier's Department on March 16, 2020, declared that the state of emergency would be in place for four weeks. It claimed they were necessary to assist with measures designed to flatten the curve of COVID-19 and give our health system the best chance of managing the virus. 24 weeks later, Andrews persuaded Parliament to allow him to extend the state of emergency for another 15 months. Victorians, hoping they'd be granted their democratic rights in time for Christmas 2021, will be disappointed to learn that Andrews is about to be granted the right to rule incompetently for as long as he pleases. The headline above the Age's cheerful editorial ten days ago, celebrating the end of what the paper bravely claimed to be the sixth and final lockdown, declared, Enjoy your new freedoms, Melbourne. You've earned them. The Victorian government's command and control approach to the COVID-19 pandemic follows a similar pattern of policy failure identified by economist Thomas Sowell. A crisis is declared over some harm which the government claims it can eliminate. Critics of the government's solution are dismissed as absurd, simplistic or downright dishonest. When the solution fails to fix the problem, the critics are accused of ignoring the complexities and told there are many factors in play. Bad as things might be, it's asserted that they would be much worse were it not for the prudent programmes that mitigated the inevitable damage. The extent to which coercive stay-at-home orders have worked in Victoria is a matter for conjecture. The results of Victoria's 20-month live human experiment strongly suggest they haven't, but the experts no doubt condemn such a conclusion as simplistic. They would point to factors other than government ineptitude to explain why more than half of the COVID infections in Australia and two-thirds of the fatalities occurred in Victoria, the state that locked down hardest and longest. Yet the correlation between centralised coercive government and incompetence is too close to ignore. Historical examples of tyrannical incompetence are not hard to spot, from the disaster at Chernobyl to the Trabant. In her book, What Really Happened in Wuhan, Shari Markson makes a convincing case that but for the secrecy and hierarchical command of the Chinese Communist government, the COVID-19 virus might have been contained two years ago. The Andrews government serves as a living example of why governments that rule by fiat are more prone to failure than those forced to run the gauntlet of parliament. Decision-making is restricted to a handful of individuals who lack perfect knowledge and who are vulnerable to groupthink. Contrary facts, discordant data and alternative strategies are suppressed. Since all power emanates from the emperor, no one in his inner circle is game to tell him that he has no clothes. Increased power leads to an excess of hubris. Any reserves of humility the leader might have possessed are quickly depleted as the GOG complex begins to set in. From the start of the outbreak, there were many who tried to argue for a different strategy, one a lot less like that employed in China and more in keeping with the principles of individual liberty and personal responsibility that have served us well. The alternative approach advocated focusing protection on the elderly and vulnerable instead of pretending that the risks were equally shared. 
There was strong evidence in March 2020 that the World Health Organization's estimate of a 3% fatality rate was wildly overstated. It was also known that the risk of death for the elderly was substantial, but the risk for the young was statistically insignificant. Yet, instead of putting all available resources into protecting the few, most governments were fixated with the false indicator of the incidence of COVID-19 in the general population. Kids with almost no risk of becoming seriously ill from COVID-19 were kept home from school and barred from playgrounds to stop the infection spreading to the elderly. The strategy failed. The notorious hotel quarantine bungle that led to the outbreak of COVID-19 in Melbourne in the winter of 2020 was a minor hiccup compared to what happened afterwards in the Victorian nursing homes. The Victorian government followed flawed advice that COVID-positive residents should be treated in their nursing home, supposedly to prevent hospitals being overwhelmed. By early July, it was apparent that scores of residents were dying in nursing homes who might have survived had they been treated in hospital. Since nursing homes lacked the experience and equipment to abide by the highest protocols of quarantine, the virus rapidly spread to other residents. The average age of a nursing home resident is 85. Nursing homes were screaming for ambulances, but Andrew's bureaucracy was slow to react. In mid-July, Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton said the official strategy was to keep the virus out of aged care homes by screening healthcare workers who entered the homes, rather than removing sick residents. I don't think that moving residents out who are infected is always the control measure that is required, he said. Belatedly, the policy was changed, but by then the coronavirus wave was passing and the damage was done. In 2020, 678 nursing home residents died, all but 19 of them in Victoria. In 2020, three out of four COVID deaths were nursing home residents. So far this year, with a new policy in place, the figure is 1 in 50. The strategy of protecting the vulnerable by attempting to control the general incidence in the community is a disastrous public policy failure. Non-pharmaceutical measures have not contained the spread and the available vaccines are far from perfect. The case for focused protection, unlike the case for emergency lockdowns, is supported by hard evidence. There have been six times as many infected people in the community this year than last, but mercifully only 31 care home residents have died. With the fitful opening of the economy and the removal of some shackles from our lives, we cannot rely on the partial protection of vaccines alone to keep the elderly safe. For that, we need to rely on a strategy of focused protection and community cooperation that was last year derided as dangerous and foolhardy by the public health establishment. Andrew's emergency powers are impossible to justify on health grounds, which is probably why he hasn't even tried. I'm Nick Cater for the Menzies Research Centre.